This week's guest is fascinating to me, Bo Shuff. He is the executive director for DC Vote, and whether or not DC should become a state is front and center in the news right now. So having him on this podcast, I found to be very exciting. Now, I do want to put this out there. I am not a big supporter of making DC a state. I say if they want to be part of a state, let them join Virginia or Maryland. But I am willing to listen to the other side to see what they have to say. I don't think we should be so arrogant as to think that we have the best ideas and we cannot improve on the ideas that we have. Plus, this movement, DC Vote, has been around for over 20 years. And I do believe at one point in time in our history... We were pretty concerned about taxation without representation, and these people who live in D.C. have no representation. So before we throw tea overboard, and I really do like tea, and don't throw coffee. Once you throw coffee overboard, I'll give you whatever you want. Uh, but before we get to that point, maybe we should listen to the other side and see if we can't find a way to learn something along the way. So with that, uh, without any further ado, uh, let's talk to Bo Shuff. I have a great guest for this week's podcast. It's a little out of the ordinary for me, but I'm excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the podcast of Bo Shuff. Did I, did I pronounce that correctly? Yep, you got it right. That's it right. It just dawned on me as I was introducing you, I forgot to ask you for the correct enunciation. <laughs> My last name, Joel Oster, I got to tell you I think it's easy to pronounce, but right. I, I go to a, a restaurant. I give them my name, Oster, Party of Two. Five minutes later, the same person tells me, Oster, Party of Two. And so sometimes even the easiest names are, are susceptible yep. to being butchered. Uh, but hey, thank you for joining the show today, Bo. No problem. People usually pronounce it right, and then they will spell it with a C, even if I send them an email. Ah, so, yes. Um, you never know how somebody's going to mess up your name, but no, that's true. Oh, I'm actually doing a class tomorrow for UMKC uh, over um, uh, Trials of the Century. We're going to talk about uh, the, Loeb, the Leopold and Loeb murder trial. For, and there's a person mm -hmm. there named Friedrich Nitschke. I, I cannot pronounce his name correctly. I know I'm butchering that. And so in my materials, I actually put in the YouTube version on how to pronounce, because I think it's Nietzsche or something like that. I don't know. I, I'm horrible at pronouncing things, but hey, <laughs> that, that's why I have people on. I just make apologies and I move forward. Well, Bo, I always like to start out. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the, the, the DC vote here because you're the executive director, which means right. you have all the information. If we have questions, you have the answers. Um, but before we get there, I always like to find <laughs> out a couple of things. Number one, how, first of all, where are you physically located today? I, 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 I'm not, no competition. I don't want you to feel pressure here, but last week we ran with a person on the beaches of Australia. Can you top that? I, I can't. And it's funny. I listened to that episode to sort of get a sense of the podcast. And the entire time I was listening, I was jealous as all heck because I have <laughs> I been to Australia a number of times and it's one of my favorite places. Um, but I'm in one of my other favorite places. I am at home in Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, about three blocks from uh, Nationals Park, our, our, the 2019 World Champion Nationals Park, I should say. That's right. Uh, our, ba our baseball stadium. So um, I can't be on the beaches of, of the Gold Coast, but I am happy to be here instead. Have you ever eaten at Moby Dick's? I have not. 
I, I heard I heard him mention it, but I have not been there. It is one of my favorite restaurants there in DC. I always make sure to go find it. Um, my kids actually loved it too. They never had a kebab before until they went there. Uh, hmm. But hey, now you, you, you mentioned baseball, so you've already taken me off the rails. But uh, <laughs> how, how does your season look this year? Uh, this season is not starting all that great. Um, we've got a good you know good lineup and a, a good bullpen and all that, but. They haven't been able to put it together quite yet. On the other hand, the year we won the championship, we started 19 and 31. So really? you never know. Yeah, we're yeah. start to championship in history. So uh, we, we sort of keep the faith and keep plugging along and see if they can't do it again. They, um, yeah, my, my Kansas City Royals, we are really like the farm system for the New York Yankees. We, we get a good <laughs> team built up. And then the big boys just come in and take away our players. But we are, we are right in the cusp of something great. So if nice. you want a secondary team, uh, the Royals, I think this year, are going to be an exciting team to watch. But, right. hey, we're two years away. Then once we get there, again, the Yankees, the Nationals, you guys will come. You'll pilfer our, our rosters. <laughs> but that's just how things are are done here. All right, well, well Bo, you're, you're, you're in D.C. And you are the executive director of the D, for D.C. Vote. And I, lo- yep. I noticed in your bio that you kind of started this journey in Florida in 2000, which I find interesting because I too started my journey in constitutional law, Florida in 2000. And so I thought that was kind of interesting connection. Uh, What what was your involvement there? Uh, In Florida, I, uh, I was part of the Gore recount team. Okay. Um, And I, 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 I I worked in the Gore recount legal office, but I did not work on any of the law. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but it was an amazing experience. I, I had worked on the campaign, uh, for vice president Gore in Florida, in a couple of counties, uh, near St. Petersburg. Um, and then when it shifted to the recount, I ended up in Tallahassee and that was just sort of the office I got put in. Man, those are crazy times. I remember was those. an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, to be able to work with secretary Christopher and, and, uh, David Boyes, and Ron Klain, who's now the White House chief of staff. I mean, working in those offices with those those folks was just unbelievable learning experience and um, just historic. I mean, I, I will know it forever. Now, I remember one day sitting at my computer and I was watching the recount vote happen. And I remember, I'm, I'm almost certain, I, I would swear to this, at one point as I was looking, I don't know if it was CNN's website or Fox News or what I was on, uh, but at one point, I, I swear I, I saw it in single digits. Now, I'm not sure that's accurate, but I know it was, it was a very yeah. small number that that recount got to before everything was, uh, was stopped. But yeah, we, uh, I think it's I think the final number was it was either 527 or 573. I cannot. OK, it's somewhere in that range. So my memory might not be the best, but hey, that's might, what have, been, with... might have been one of the counties might have been partway through. I okay. mean, it was definitely close and it went back and forth. So right, right. Oh, man, they, um, uh, as you get old, some things happen. One is the memories. <laughs> but, hey, because I'm a positive person, I only remember the good things. That is the beauty of getting old, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that that was fascinating to me as a lawyer because I was involved in some of those cases. And I know mm-hmm. now it, it just seems commonplace. But back then, whenever you filed a lawsuit or you filed any kind of pleading with the court, you actually would have to mail it in to the court, and then you wouldn't even get it from the other side for three more days, right? That that was standard. It wasn't mm-hmm. this instantaneous filing and you receive it, but when your email dings, uh, as I remember though, in that case, if they filed something in Tallahassee, 
CNN put it on their website within seconds or minutes, and then we would get it instant, you know, pretty quickly. So that was the mm-hmm. introduction to this whole email type, or, you know, electronic filing, uh, at least in, in um, that, that I'm aware of. But hey, so uh, where did you? Why did you get involved in in this type of electoral, uh, you know, campaigning and, and matters advocacy? Sure, sure. Uh, well, I mean, that was sort of. Uh, I came to DC in 1991 to go to GW and, and, and sort of got into it. Uh, I mean, it's the reason I came here. I've always been interested in politics. I've always been in a, interested in advocacy in high school. I was involved with uh, the young Democrats and volunteered okay. on campaigns. And, and so it's just sort of always been a thing. Um, and then I, I took some time out for a while and I came back to do the 2000 election because I, I, I thought that um, that election was really important and I was living in Florida at the time and, it seemed like Florida was going to be an important state. Right, <laughs> right. Sure was. <laughs> you pegged um, that one. But you know, before I was already living down there, and I'm like, you know what, this seems important, and so I, I switched a little bit and started working on it. And that actually was the impetus to really focus on um, sort of issues of representation, equality, and democracy. Was that coming out of the 2000 election, uh, it felt like democracy wasn't working, um, and it wasn't quite right based on the outcome. Right, like it was decided by a minority of voters uh, because of the Electoral College. And so I really, at that point is when I started looking more at issues of equality and, and issues of representation. And I've worked on a number since. I worked in, in LGBT, uh, LGBTQ issues, you know, more on the equality side. Obviously, I worked right. in issues of immigration, dealing with uh, folks getting documented and then having their right to vote. Um, and I've done some, a bunch of candidate campaigns electing individuals to office uh, but about five years ago, having run the mayor of D.C.'s campaign, I was the mayor of Muriel Bowser's campaign manager in 2014. Coming off of that race, I learned so much about the district being my campaign manager and really recognized that the lack of representation here, there, there are 712,000 people that live here in the district that have no representation in Congress at all. Right, we right. have a non-voting House member and no senators. And I just I found that abhorrent. Um and something that I thought needed to be fixed and an opportunity to get involved presented itself, and I jumped at it. That is an interesting uh, anomaly that in the United States, there's a little area. Uh, how big are we talking? I, I know it's just kind of going over the Constitution, and it said ten, no bigger than 10 square miles, but I'm just wondering. Uh, I have no idea yep. if the people honored that. How big do you, would you describe this area? Well, at one point we were exactly 10 square miles, okay. uh, diamond shape. But then uh, the plantation owners in Virginia, D.C. was about to free the slaves in D.C. Okay. And the plantation owners on the Virginia side of the river said, no, no, we still we still need our slaves and want our slaves and want to be racist, apparently. Um, and petitioned the government to, to take that part of D.C. and put it back to Virginia. Okay. Um, so we're about 60 square miles instead of 100 square miles. Okay, so you're 60 square miles uh, yeah. now. All right. Uh, but, so, but, but we have more population than Vermont or Wyoming, and we're just on the heels of Alaska. Okay. Have you ever been to Alaska? I have. Wow, that's I a great it. state. It's gorgeous. You want to talk about a place to get lost, going to Alaska. For like real. Said, how many people do you think are in Alaska? I'm just guessing less than a million um, around they're, that they're number. Just, they're just ahead of us. They're 730,000. And they are the size of probably half of the continental United States, but yet here in, in D.C., um, they almost equal that that population. Yep. I've heard Alaska is the place to go to get lost. Um, but I, I find the story of, of D.C. fascinating, and I guess I didn't really quite realize it. Why don't you walk us back? Cause I, this is a, 
a current issue, right? There's a vote yes. going on very imminently here um, yep. about it was in Congress about whether or not DC should become a state. Is that right. next week even? There, there, there's, there was a committee vote yesterday, literally yesterday afternoon. Uh, and then the floor, the full house floor vote will be next week sometime. We're not sure which date. Okay. Yet. So this is current. This is pressing. Yep. So We're right in the middle of it. <laughs> let's go back to 17 whatever. Uh, and so w- how did this all begin? Why is it that yep. DC um, came to be not a part of a state? Let's go back to 1783 if we want to be specific. Okay. Um, and 1783 was what we call the Philadelphia Insurrection. It's funny that it's an insurrection. It'll come important in a second here. Um, Interesting, because we might have said, hey, there's a recent uh, something similar right. to that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it, I get that. I got gotcha. you. We'll get there. Um, at the time, there was no set U.S. capital. It had been bouncing around. It had been in New York. It had right. been, and, and by capital, all I mean is where the Congress was meeting. Okay. Um, and the Congress met in Philly. It met in New York. It met in Annapolis. It met... In several different places. And at the time we're talking about, they were meeting in Philadelphia. Now, to be fair, this is 1783. So this is before the current Congress to be Articles of Confederation that govern. Is that right? Articles of Confederation govern? This is the Continental Congress that is in the process of drafting the Constitution and setting up the final government. Right. The Articles of uh, uh, the the other people, you know, the um, now I lost the name of it. The Articles of Confederation didn't totally stick. You know, not everybody right. was was a big fan of them. Right, right. So they were they were in the process of drafting the new constitution, and they were meeting in Philadelphia to do that. So that's why I call it capital because it's not really okay. a capital, right? right, right. It's just where the it's where the Continental Congress was meeting. Okay, good. One of the biggest things, as anybody who studied anything in American history knows, was the uh, or if you've seen the recent smash Broadway hit Hamilton, right, was the Which debate I have about um, the debate about the bank. And the debates about North versus South and slavery versus non-slavery. These okay. were the, the biggest debates at the time. Alexander Hamilton needed some sort of bargaining chip uh, in order to get the bank and to relieve the debts of the North from the cost of the Revolutionary War. Okay. Because the Southern states had all the money because when you have plantations and you don't have to pay labor because they are slaves, you can make a lot of money. I see. So there was this negotiation back and forth and back and forth, and Hamilton needed a bargaining chip, and the Pennsylvania militia gave him a bargaining chip. They laid siege to the building that the Continental Congress was meeting in. But they didn't lay siege to the Continental Congress. They laid siege to the Philadelphia legislature, which was meeting in the same building. Huh. The Pencil- I'm sorry, the Pennsylvania legislature. Right, right. The Pennsylvania militia was trying to get paid by the Pennsylvania legislature because they hadn't been paid for the Revolutionary War. Okay. So they took over the building and held it there. And Alexander Hamilton told this whopper of a lie that they were gonna they were there to get paid by the Congress. Okay. And so the Congress fled, and that set up this idea that the Congress has to be in control and it has to keep itself safe and it has to have its own city. All right, I got you. So that's what led to it. And no. so in the Constitution, it says there should be a, a federal district no greater than 10 miles square, like you mentioned. Now, I know this is um, a little bit of an aside, but uh, was that in Hamilton, that story? I know a lot of the no. singing was really quick. I wanted to, I, I didn't miss it. Okay, good. No. It's not in there. And if and if I ever meet Lin-Manuel Miranda, we will have words about that. Okay, all right. Um, anyway, so that was his grand bargaining chip, and he was able to give away the location of the capital here in the South. They wanted it, the Southern states wanted it in the South so that it would be a place that slavery was welcome. The nation's capital welcomed slavery. In fact, the capital building itself was built by slaves. Okay. Um, 
And in exchange, he got the bank and the debts reduced. It was his number one thing, and he managed to get it. The, the, that part was in Hamilton. It's the song, The Room Where It Happens. Ah, yes, I remember that song. Um, so D.C. gets established. There are people living here on either side of the river, uh, some in what is now Alexandria, some in what was called at the time Washington City, and some in another town called George, Georgetown. Um, those people lost their representation in 1801, lost it. They had representation previously. Once they were part of the capital uh, district, the federal district, they lost it and have not been represented fully since. Okay, so now in 1801, when that happens, see, the, the Constitution allows for 10 by 10 square miles to At be— At the biggest. Right, right, to be given uh, for the, the, the seat of the government. Um, and then, so now how—I I think if I remember from reading some site, probably is your site— that George Washington kind of selected that that property. Was yep. there then a vote afterwards, or, or how did it come to be that they said that they approved that particular parcel of of land? The Congress decided. Yeah. So George Washington was a surveyor. That was his real life day job before he was a general and a okay. founding father. Um, and he and a team, and there's a, an African American gentleman who was pretty much responsible for most of the actual surveying, whose name is going to fail me. So okay. folks could should Google that. Um, <laughs> But uh, they laid out the 10 by 10 plot. Some of the boundary stones that were laid out at that time are still in existence. You can walk around D.C. and find them. Okay. Um, but that's – and it was uh, approved by Congress. But they had pretty much uh, – it was kind of an approval after the fact. They had already tasked him with that. Like they knew it was going to be on the banks of the Potomac. Um, and the actual like specific spots were laid out and they approved it sort of pro forma. Okay. Now was it important uh, to – to Congress at that time that this area not be a part of a state? I mean, why couldn't it not it have been? So what, okay. what they were trying to do was prevent what happened in Philadelphia from happening again. Okay. That, that and stay with me for a second, because it's going to be a light bulb, that some crazed mob of people couldn't just take over the Capitol building right, right. and stop business from happening because the Congress would have its own protection it's a good thing they stopped that from ever happening it's yeah. good that they that that never ever happened again and that the business of the of the congress was never interrupted by a crazed mob of people hey, at least they had foresight maybe 200 well, years right. foresight but they had foresight yeah. i mean technically it took 220 years for it to happen but it did in fact happen again obviously on january 6th when right. we found that the original reason for this supposed safe space for congress didn't work because the Capitol Police weren't equipped correctly to protect Congress. That is interesting. Um, oh, and what? in fact, what did happen was the District of Columbia's Metropolitan Police Department, the police that we as D.C. residents pay for through our taxes, et cetera, is what bailed out the Capitol and was actually returned the Capitol control okay. to control. All right. So then, in, in 1801, they, uh, they 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 take this this parcel of land. And say, this is going to be yep. where our, our seat is, and it, it did take the voting rights of people within that parcel of land. It, it did take yep. the voting rights away at, at from day the previous day to the the, the current day. Then uh, they lost representation. If they were a part of a certain state. They, at least they yep. could. All right. So what what happened next then? So I mean, and, and just to keep in mind that the number of people that were impacted by that was very, very small because at the time you had to be a landowning straight white man in order to vote. Okay, right. So none of the women had votes anyway. None of the young people had votes anyway. There were a number of boarding houses here because of the transient nature of the ports. 
Um, so they couldn't vote because they didn't own any land, et cetera. So it was a pretty small number. So those but, three people lost their, their rights. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, so that, that continued on and off, uh, off and off. They've never had representation. But the efforts to fix that continued on and off and on and off throughout history. In 19, uh, shoot, in the, in the early 1970s, uh, we gained what was called limited home rule. We were allowed to establish a district council, kind of like a city council, but we're not a city, we're a district. Right. Um, a district council that has an elected mayor and an elected uh, uh, members of the council. There's 13 of them. But everything that they pass, every law, every piece of spending, everything, goes to Congress for review. Right. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the country. Right. If, if, if Missouri passes a law, they don't have to send it to Congress to say, oh, yeah, we like that one, Missouri. You get to keep it. Right. But it happens here. D.C. is is different. You're right. right. Even if it did happen in Missouri and and Missouri did have to send it up here, the Missouri senators and the Missouri members of Congress could at least defend it and debate it and and protect it if they wanted to protect it. In D.C., we don't even have anybody to do that on our behalf. So not only do we have to send our laws up to Congress, uh, we don't have anybody there who can defend them or or protect them or overturn them or offer any thoughts from Washingtonians at all. Which I gotta say is somewhat interesting because these people in D.C., I, I assume they all have maybe secondary residences in D.C., maybe not. I don't know. The, the representatives and the senators. Uh, they definitely are residents of their home states. Yeah, and they're I, definitely, they're, they maintain their residency of their home state. Otherwise, they couldn't run for office there. Right. So maybe they have an apartment there, but for them to actually vote uh, on how the people who live there should, should live, that does seem a little bit. Right. Uh, counterintuitive when it comes to democratic principles. Uh, well, especially compared to taxation without representation. I, I've, right? I've heard that somewhere before. I'm a history major. I know. I, I heard that somewhere before. I'm not quite sure where that was. I, I don't like and that. So we pay, we pay full federal personal income taxes, business taxes, all of them. Uh, in fact, D.C. pays more in taxes collectively than 22 other states. Now, explain that to me, because I am—I um, uh, went to your website, and I, and I think I watched one of the videos. Good stuff on your website, by the way. Very, very um, well done. Uh, thought-provoking. And so I, I remember one of the videos talking about the highest tax rate. I thought, wow, I never even thought about it. Is that tr- how does that play out? In, we pay uh, per capita more in federal taxes than any state. What, is, uh, what does that mean? Each person, if you take all the taxes we pay as a as a district and average it among the number of people, we pay more than anybody else in per- anywhere. Percentage in the wise of income or actual? Yep. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Percentage wise of income. Okay. Um, collectively, though, which I think is the more important statistic, personally, if you take all of the money we pay to federal taxes, everything that the every cent that a district resident sends to the federal coffers, we pay more than twenty two states. Okay. Collectively, even though we're only bigger than two states. Now, do you guys pay state tax? I mean, I know you're not part of a state, but is there an right. income tax by the district? We pay a district income tax. Yeah, just like if you live in a state except Florida. And, right. So and, we have and a, Texas. I, I'm thinking about yeah. moving. To, and Tennessee. Those are my three states. I'm thinking about moving to because I don't like paying any tax. Uh, right. But um, interesting. So you guys also but, pay. And, you know, we've got and we've got a sales tax just like everybody else. And if you own a house or a business, you've got a property tax. So we operate in the same structures as, and that's why I am pretty insistent that we we're not a city, we're a district, right? Because we operate as a state. We have a state board of education. We have a state department of transportation, right? Like we operate as a state even though we don't have the rights of a state or the recognition of a state. 
And that's really important when you look at it compared to the Tenth Amendment, right, which reserves all powers to the states that aren't enumerated to Congress. Right, right. So, so you, you, you have a problem. You've identified a problem. Yeah. And so why, why statehood um, uh, as compared to, let's just say, why not just give it, you know, go back to Virginia or, or Maryland? Um, why, why, why is statehood the preferred remedy? Well, uh, a lot of it has to do with the Tenth Amendment. Right. That, that we have to be the part of a state. But the most important part of this is that like D.C., uh, te- Texas was part of Mexico more recently than D.C. was part of Maryland. True. True. And we were only part of Maryland, state of Maryland for two years. OK. We have a complete and like I, I, I say this often, I, I once sold a house. Right. I don't get to go hang out there just because I liked it. Right. And they don't get to claim that I still owe them anything because I once owned it. Okay. Like West Virginia was part of Virginia. Vermont was part of uh, Maine. Like there's all kinds of these things where we split off populations and we split off geographies over the course of the 200 years that the country has existed um, because of distinct populations, distinct cultures and distinct persons. Most importantly, though, and the most important piece is that all of this for the United States has always been about self-determination is that we believe in the ability to govern ourselves and, and that we decide, you know, governed by the consent of the government, all that stuff. D.C. has decided by 86% on a ballot, not a poll, literally on a ballot, that we want to be a state. Right. And Maryland has responded saying, we don't really want you either. The population of Maryland is opposed to the idea of D.C. coming back to Maryland. I never cared much for Maryland anyways, but all right. no, just, just and if, and I like Maryland. I didn't mean to say that. I'm just saying I don't like you telling people that Maryland doesn't like <laughs> it. Um, and, but the most important part of that whole thing is that the folks who advocate for the return of D.C. to Maryland are doing so not in good faith. They are doing so to whittle down the power of African-American communities in both D.C. and Maryland. Okay. Uh, if both of those populations were significantly white, there'd be no chance we were having this conversation. So is Maryland, again, I am not from the East Coast. I am from the yeah. Midwest. And so you're going to have to spell things out for me. Maryland, are, do they have two Republican senators, Democratic senators? What does that look like? Maryland has two Democratic senators and a Republican governor at the moment. Okay. So I see. So, um, D.C. is pretty Democratic. We have we have consistently voted for Democrats at the federal level. On the other hand, we've voted for some Republicans and some independents at our at our quote unquote statewide level. So Virginia um, as well. Does Virginia have two Democratic senators or Republican senators? What, what is Virginia that? presently is completely solidly blue. Um, it has previously been significantly purple. It has gone back and forth. Right. Recently, it's um, blue. yeah. The most recent round of Republicans that. Uh, the Republican Party of Virginia ran, and this is me personally, my commentary, not the organization, um, was somewhere just slightly a little crazier than President Trump. Okay. Like, it was just a really strange I slate like, they put together. I like your disclaimer uh, before that. Um, but, um, yeah. No, definitely had to. Um, so, but, so there's, there is a lot of opposition to D.C. statehood from people who think that it is solely about getting more Democratic Senate seats, and it's just... It, not even close to the truth. Well, to that it is vein, about representing seven hundred twelve thousand people. To that vein, I will suggest when um, when did you start as an organization? Twenty two years ago. Yeah, so it, it wasn't like oh, Democrats got control of the, the Senate, got right. control of the House and the presidency. Now's the time. I mean, obviously, right. this might be a politically opportune time because you do got the votes, but that's just reality. Uh, but right. it, it wasn't. It didn't start. Uh, you know, on January sixth of this year or whatever. 
And even if you look back over over the last 50 to 60 years, two additional if 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 it went that we elected two Democratic senators from D.C., that would have only changed the balance of power in the Congress twice. Right. And for very short periods, both times. You know what? I again, I, I'm, a, I'm a history major, but I have not right. been around for 200 years. But my gut tells me <laughs> that no matter what the population looks like or, or where the people shift, we'll find a way to divide ourselves right at the 50% mark. That's just what we do as a people. We find yeah. a way to argue, and we're going to be split at the 50% line. Someone told me how the Republican Party today was the Democratic Party in the 1960s. Now, I don't know if that's true. I can understand their point to a certain extent. But if that were true, that basically meant over a period of 50 years, one party is totally you know, uh, metamorphosized and changed their appearance from one to the next. So we, we'll just find ways to split and disagree right down the middle. But again, right. that's, that's, that's my kind of jaded view on, on everything. Um, all right, well, what is the, the process then? Because uh, I, I do have some questions on that. I'm, I was curious if sure. you might, because I assume you've thought through all of these issues. Puerto Rico also wants to become a state. Uh, I actually had a Puerto Rican, uh, a person from Puerto Rico on this podcast. And she's saying, yeah, the people in Puerto Rico, they want to become a state as well. And, and so I, we kind of looked into the process for that, what it would require. And I was kind of surprised to learn the process of becoming a state just generally. It's, uh, it's just a simple vote by, by Congress. Is that your okay. understanding just as a general rule? Yeah, as a general rule, that's totally true. In fact, we have 37 examples of it. Because, um, right. you know, we only started with 13. And so 37 times states have been admitted and it's always been by a, a simple legislation, which requires a majority plus one. Um, and, and there are those who are opposed to D.C. statehood who have tried to raise the idea that because the federal district is required, it would require a constitutional amendment to right. make D.C. a state. That's not accurate because the bill that's per, that, that is put forth actually does preserve a federal district. Um, we think it's important also that there is a national capital for all of America to come. We said explain that. I missed that. So you actually yep. still would have a federal district not a part of? That's correct. Oh, interesting. Um, so if you take what I call the postcard places, um, the White House, the monuments, the Capitol building, the Supreme Court, all of that has no residences around it. There's no one that lives that far or that right. close to any of those buildings. And so there is a line that has been drawn that establishes a district that is truly the federal district. It's the mall. It's what everybody right. thinks of D.C. Makes sense. It's the national mall. It's the ability to come to the Capitol building for the inauguration or to go to the Supreme Court to air grievances or what have you. And all of that would still remain as a federal district because we, we agree that all of the country should be able to have somewhere to come. It's the neighborhoods, the businesses, the baseball stadium, the – uh, parks and the schools and the grocery stores that surround that, that become the new state. Interesting. Um, so because of the, uh, partially because of what the constitution requires and partially because of the way that the constitution is written, you know, there's all of these originalists <laughs> right. who are now telling us that DC can't be a, a state because the constitution says so, except that the constitution says no greater than, 10 miles square. It does not put a floor on the size of the federal district. So your response, I'm assuming then would be, uh, under the constitution, you can't eliminate a federal district. We are not, 
But the Constitution right. allows us to redraw it. In fact, that historically that is what has been done throughout right. the time without a constitutional amendment. So there is some practice there. And this right. is just simply redrawing the districts. We're not eliminating uh, the federal district. And uh, we are just simply saying we want this remaining area yep. to become a state. Yep. All right. That's exactly right. So, uh, And what it does is it ends the conflict between the needs of people that live here and the needs of the government that need to run. Right? Like... Uh, it just there's there's no longer any stress about who's responsible for which parts. Um, you know, for I can give you a silly example when we have a government shutdown. DC is responsible for picking up the parks and the trash. Okay. So which we're happy. Normally that's not true. Like the federal spaces, the federal land, just like a federal park in in your state, they would have their own sanitation and right. and their own park police and all that. That's true here in the district as well, but when the federal government shuts down for a week or two, nobody who lives here wants to see piles of trash on the National Mall. Right, right. And so D.C. steps up, and we send in our sanitation crews, and we send in our uh, uh, safety crews to make sure that everybody is still safe and such. And we usually don't get reimbursed for that. Like, it's not like the federal government then writes us a check to make up for those costs. Right, right. Um, so those are the – so conflict is the wrong word because it's not like – it's not January 6th. It's just right. who's, pay, who's paying for this, right? It's like going out to dinner with your friends. Um, and, and, and that stuff will end should D.C. become a state because now you will have, just like you do in every single state – Agreements, written agreements between the federal government and the, and the local state about who takes care of what should something happen. Do you just shut down a, a national park because the na the nation's you know business is shut down over a government shutdown, or do you have an agreement locally to keep it going? Um, so I, that's just one sort of example of of why statehood matters to the rest of the, to the folks from around the country as well, because we need to make sure that the, that there's a space for everyone. Now, do you think, and this might not be a fair question, but do you think that if the the Senate was not currently 50-50 deadlocked, let's just say it was 60-40 one side or the other, you know, so, so this wouldn't be a, a real decisive issue, do you think that you would have an easier time becoming a state or, or a harder time? Or uh, is it just kind of indifferent? Um. No, I well, wonder if any, people can separate the, the the current political reality from the actual issues of these people living there without be, having representation. I mean, any any time that one party has sixty seats in the Senate, that party's agenda moves, right? right. Because the filibuster is is no longer relevant. Filibuster's um, gone. We all know that, right? It's gone. So, but I think so. It, it doesn't have so much to do with the political climate of the moment. It has to do with the fact that there is one party that is significantly invested in removing representation from people across the country. Um, and we have seen hundreds, literally hundreds of bills introduced in, since November to limit or exclude people's ability to vote um, and ability to be represented. And so the last time, there was a push for a constitutional amendment for D.C. statehood back in the 70s, and that bill gained bipartisan support. It right. gained the okay. two-thirds necessary to move it out to the public. So it had Republicans and Democrats voting for it. In 07 and 09, there was a bill to um, give our delegate a vote in the House of Representatives. So not full representation, but at least some. So what happened? That bill was bipartisan. We had an op-ed yesterday in Arizona from a former Republican senator, uh, Dominici, uh, in favor of D.C. statehood. So 
the issue is bipartisan when you and 34 percent of in the most recent polling were at 54 percent total 34 percent of republicans support dc statehood this is a bipartisan issue right yeah. But the party in power or the party trying to hang on to power has decided to try and limit voting across the country. And this is one of those issues. Now, uh, now I try to be as, as apolitical as possible. I know it's always hard to do, right? I mean, I'm not sure I have very yeah. much to succeed, but at least that's my, my effort. But uh, so I would you know, probably disagree with uh, one party trying to uh, you know, suppress votes. I, I, th- I think it's more of trying to keep uh, some integrity. But... I will g- grant you that I, I do think this actually is a bipartisan issue. I'm just trying to think if it could be analyzed by people outside of the political realities of our 50-50 split right now. And it was just on you know, uh, almost a million people living in an area uh, without representation. Can't, shouldn't we fix that? And how should we fix that? I think that's a, that's a bipartisan issue that I would think a lot of people yep. would agree to. Um, all right, so so tell us because I I definitely love love to know what do you see happening the next I don't know thirty days I mean what what is next for the I know we said it's going to go up for a vote next yep. week uh, I assumed in the Senate that's right so it's going to pass the House of Representatives next week we're we're pretty confident that we've got the votes in the House um, and then we head to the Senate and presently there are forty six senators in favor of DC statehood uh, publicly. Um, there are four that caucus with the Democrats that do not have a position uh, publicly, and then most of the opposition, if they have said, or most of the uh, the, the Republican caucus, if they have said anything, have said they are opposed. So, um, let's go to the so big at the moment, one. we don't we don't have a majority in the Senate, and that's what's going to happen over the next few months is continued work on educating people in the states where those senators live to make sure that they're talking to their representatives, their elected officials. So let's go to, to to West Virginia. Where where does he stand? Has he made <laughs> he his position one of the known? No. Uh, so the four that uh, for, that caucus with the Democrats that we don't have a position from are Kelly and King. I'm sorry, Kelly and Cinema from Arizona, Mansion from West Virginia, and King from Maine. Okay. So those are, are, are the, the ones that are in play. And then uh, I know you... And there's uh, a couple of on the Republican side who have indicated a willingness to listen, especially uh, Senator Romney of Utah, right? Um, who have, has has acknowledged that there is a problem of representation. I used to work for a, uh, an organization uh, that was in public advocacy, and I know how we would normally uh, do things. And we basically, when whenever there was a bill, we would just send all these press releases saying... This bill is horrible. It's going to strip away your rights. It's going to end democracy and society as we know it. The bill gets passed. And then our talking points then quickly became, you know what? It's no big deal. It doesn't really, (laughs) you can ignore this. And so we took a 180 degree uh, turn the opposite direction. Uh, And so I think this might be similar to that, where I do know that right now it's going to impact the voting totals. I, I get that. But but give it four years, and all of a sudden you're going to see society shift, and right. and then people it just that's what happens throughout time. We're not going to all of a sudden uh, be a you know sixty forty percent democratic government never to go the other direction. You're right. going to see people running, and then it's probably not going to be that big of a deal. It's just going to mean the flag manufacturers. Well, it's going to be a boom to their industry. But maybe I'm making light of that. Uh, I don't really know. Um, uh, have you have you actually even thought about the flag? Would it be? Uh, yeah, actually. There's, it's and it's not us. It's the military. Okay. Um, I believe it's the military that laid it out. Uh, but there's a 51 star flag. It is all ready to go. Okay. Um, you would never even notice. In fact, I, I'll tell you, we, uh, the mayor of DC, uh, put 51 
stars or 51 flags that had 51 stars on them all the way down Pennsylvania Avenue last year. Interesting. And I, I went down to take a picture in front of one and I had somebody take the picture for me. And in the background was this ginormous flag. And she was just like, why don't you just take a picture in front of that one? Well, because that's the 50 star flag. And, and she didn't believe me that they were any different. <laughs> Interesting. This woman who, who I just happened to randomly grab. I'm like, no, this one has 51 stars. Trust me. And she's like, no, they're exactly. What are you talking about? No flag has 51. Like we got into a debate about it. Right, because right. standing in front of the two, she couldn't tell. Um, because all it is is a re-modification of the way the stars are, are rode. Um, so, yeah, everybody's going to be fine. Car dealerships are going to have to invest in, in a new round of large flags. Hey, um, help the economy out however you can. It's about stimulating exactly. the economy. The biggest, the biggest negative I can see to D.C. statehood is uh, I feel really bad for fourth graders that are going to have to draw the state of D.C. in class because it's a little convoluted where you have to go turn by turn, corner by corner. But other than wow. that, I don't really sort of see much much downside for the, the general public. You know what? If people can have to draw Rhode Island, they probably can draw the D.C. Right? Uh, yep. it, it is gonna def- I can't. I, I'm too old. I, I probably couldn't even see how what that would look like. Uh, I always hoped I would get Wyoming or Colorado in those cases. Maybe see, Utah, right? Yeah, like, go out west. It's really easy <laughs> to draw your states. I don't know why yep. that came to be. Just nice, flat, straight edges, but... Um, yeah. Hey, that's, that's where we are. I'm out here in Kansas, and so it's a pretty easy state to, to pretty, locate, yep. locate as well. True story. What's oh, that? you're on the Kansas side. Sorry. What, what, I kept saying Missouri, and I didn't realize you were on the Kansas side. Yes. I mean, you know what? No one even really knows the difference. Uh, Kansas. I'm always impressed when people say Kansas City. Uh, they, don't, they don't even know it's in Missouri. They assume it's in Kansas, but then some yeah. people, I don't know. Have you ever been to, Can- to Kansas? I've been uh, several times, actually. I worked um, when I was back doing LGBTQ issues. I worked against the marriage amendment in Kansas years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I've been to Topeka and to Kansas City, Kansas, and to uh, uh, where is the school? Um, the university. It's sort of halfway between. You mean uh, University of Kansas? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, it's in Lawrence. Lawrence, thank you. Lawrence was the town I was trying to think of. Um, so I've been, I've been to that, that portion and down to Wichita. So yeah, I've been there. I've been there a bit. Interesting. I hope you enjoyed our barbecue. Um, but apparently I you haven't even enjoyed Moby Dick's there in DC. So I'm not sure what you're doing. Uh, I got to go check this out. I am not familiar with this one. Yeah. Yeah. You got to check out Moby Dick's out there. I will. Um, but, uh, Hey, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I appreciate your insight. Uh, and so we'll be, we'll be following this and, and commenting on along the way. I do think, uh, there will be a legal challenge on the constitutionality. Uh, cause Probably. I know People will argue over everything. Uh, and so I know that much. And sometimes I think a case is ironclad, and, and then the, I'll get an adverse ruling against me. I think, how in the world did the judge do that? Oh, that's how the judge did that. Now I, now I see right. it. These guys are brilliant, way smarter than I am. And so I just read their cases and comment. It's all I have to do. But hey, thank you so much for joining us. I do Thanks appreciate it. And um, uh, good luck in all your endeavors. Thank you much. Good to meet you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. <laughs>